0: with a special report from washington dc this is mark babawi this week in dc a couple of things happened that warrant some closer investigation it was uh, the summit meeting of christians united for israel Uh, that group says that it is uh, a christian american duty to support the state of israel essentially Uh, You can look at their website for a lot more detail, but to get a real flavor of what they're about, uh, I think it's worth looking at the words of their founder, Pastor John Hagee. So I'll just play you in his own words, with his own voice, through their own presentation, what it is that Pastor John Hagee summarizes as the relationship between church and state.
1: Stand up America, speak up America, take America back to God and the Constitution. We are still one nation under God, endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let us remember, it is the soldier from Valley Forge to Afghanistan, who fights to preserve our God-given rights. It is the soldier, not the minister, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us the freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to protest. It is the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial it is the soldier not the politician who has given us the right to vote it is the soldier who salutes the flag who serves beneath the flag and whose coffin is draped by the flag that makes freedom possible for those who live beneath that flag
0: okay let's stop right there Uh, The First Amendment of the Constitution says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free practice thereof. Most people think of the First Amendment as uh, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. Uh, But the establishment of religious freedom and the protection of religious freedom and the enshrinement of the non-imposition of a religion is crucial to the separation of church and state. Uh, And he's also saying that we as citizens have the right to a free trial, to vote, to so many things, because of the soldier. He's somehow militarizing Christianity, or Christianizing the military, or both. Can we even separate those two things? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, so that's one really big problem. Uh, and the other big problem comes in with the whole topic of Israel. And here, John Hagee's theological position is uh, interesting, to say the least, and caused a considerable amount of controversy. So, in his own words, again, here is what John Hagee had to say about getting the Jewish people to their ancestral homelands, not just for living there, but to create and establish the state of Israel.
1: Again he said unto me, Prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, All you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And he spoke to them, and they stood, and they became an exceeding great army, meaning they physically came to life. Now how is God going to bring them back to the land? The answer is fishers and hunters. The answer is given in Jeremiah 16, verse 15 and following. God says in Jeremiah 16, Behold, I will bring them, the Jewish people, again into the land that I gave unto their fathers. That would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Behold, I will send for many fishers, and after will I send for many hunters, and they, the hunters, shall hunt them. That would be the Jews. From every mountain and from every hill and from out of the holes of the rocks. If that doesn't describe what Hitler did in the Holocaust, you can't see that. So think about this. I will send fishers, and I will send hunter. A fisher is someone who entices you with a bait. How many of you know who Theodore Herzl was? How many of you don't have a clue who he was? Woo! Sweet God. Theodore Herzl is the father of Zionism. He was a Jew that at the turn of the 19th century said, This land is our land. God wants us to live there. So he went to the Jews of Europe and said, I want you to come and join me in the land of Israel. So few went. Herzl went into depression. Those who came founded Israel. Those who did not went through the hell of the Holocaust. Then God sent a hunter. A hunter is someone who comes with a gun, and he forces you. Hitler was a hunter. And the Bible says, Jeremiah writing, they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill out of the holes of the rocks, meaning there's no place to hide. And that will be offensive to some people. Well, dear heart, be offended. I didn't write it. Jeremiah wrote, It was the truth, and it is the truth. How did it happen? Because God allowed it to happen. Why did it happen? Because God said, my top priority for the Jewish people is to get them to come back to the land of Israel. Today, Israel is back in the land, and they are at Ezekiel 37 and 8. They're physically alive, but they're not spiritually alive. Now, how is God going to cause the Jewish people to come spiritually alive and say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He is God?
0: In John Hagee's interpretation, Hitler was a hunter, a hunter that God used to take the Jewish people to the land of Israel, but that only makes the Jewish people physically alive and not spiritually alive. All this uh, is, of course, controversial and it would be a mistake to say that this is uh, a belief that the majority of Christians hold. Let's get to some alternative voices now that are complaining about the agenda of Christians United for Israel, or Kufi or Kufi, depending on who's using this the uh, the acronym and, and how they're saying it. In fact, uh, John Hagee himself has said both Kufi and Kufi and CUFI Ufi cufi really is all you need to know for the time being uh, so because of this summit because of the uh, christians united for israel summit in washington dc it seemed uh, i guess an appropriate opportunity to galvanize a pretty diverse range of people and causes and ideas the main organizing group was fosna f-o-s-n-a which is friends of sebyl north america And uh, co-signatories to their demonstration uh, against the Christians United for Israel summit meeting was uh, Jewish Voice for Peace, the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, and American Muslims for Palestine. So when I was in D.C., as the uh, CUFI summit was taking place, I caught up with the protesters as they marched right through the middle of D.C., So here's some of that audio.
2: All right, we are uh, walking in the middle of DC. I'm with a group of uh, demonstrators, counter demonstrators, about to convene outside the Christians United for Israel Summit here in D.C. And I'm uh, running into a lot of different people on the street, some of them part of the protest, some of them not. And uh, one of them is joining me right now, uh, Rabbi, in fact. Yes, hello. Can you uh, identify yourself for a listeners? Please?
3: My name is Rabbi Jessica Rosenberg, and I'm here because Christians United for Israel weaponizes my people, my Jewish people's history, to commit and enable atrocious crimes against palestinian lives and the palestinian people
2: you know the the story that the, the line that is quite often used yep. in the media about american israeli relations is uh you know natural allies democracy capitalism Doesn't. to some extent uh human rights and israel, israel is often just uh, juxtaposed with arab regimes what's your take on that
3: israel It's not a democracy, it's only a shadow democracy for a few, a select few, and we have to fight against that at the same time as we're fighting for justice and equality and human rights and civil rights for all people.
2: Has this uh, movement, do you think, brought together some uh, unlikely alliances? I we're seeing a pretty mixed crowd.
3: It's really inspiring to be here and to see so many people aligned for justice. I'm here with Christians, Muslims, people of faith and conscience, and I'm feeling so much support and love that people will not uh, let Jewish history be weaponized, will not uh, stand by, stand idly by while Palestinians' uh, lives, homes, livelihood, futures are destroyed.
2: And how would you contrast this crowd that is very visible to me at the moment, because I'm in the middle of it and I haven't been inside uh, the convention center yet, but what's the difference in the picture?
3: They're dressed a lot fancier. (laughs) That's the main difference.
2: It looks uh, looks like there's a group of people about to meet you as well.
3: Notori Karta is here voicing their support for Palestinian solidarity, that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. It's very inspiring to see support from all parts of the Jewish community. Okay, I'm going to go up front.
2: Okay, thanks for joining
0: us. That was Jessica Rosenberg. She's a Reconstructionist rabbi, but it's not just uh, rabbis or even Jews who have uh, issues with what uh, Reverend Hagee. Is saying, or Pastor John Hagee. In fact, uh, Reverend Graylin Hagler of Plymouth United Church of Christ takes a theological issue with Hagee's militarization ideas and the conflation of uh, evangelical Christianity and militarism, and he connects the issues uh, beyond Israel and Palestine to all sorts of other things. So here's uh, a couple of sound bites from Graylin Hagler speaking at the Plymouth United Church of Christ the day before the march.
4: I want to welcome you to Plymouth Congregational United Church of Christ. This church was founded in 1881. Uh, It was founded, its original building was at 17th and P Street Northwest, which is right outside of DuPont Circle. And that was one of the hearts of the black community in those days. And so you can see when you go down there, you don't see much presence of a black community down at 17th and P Northwest. And so, in a sense, we've been pushed and pushed, and that's been the whole issue around gentrification, which is another issue around displacement of poor folks, of people of color, and to take over the the city and and only uh, make the city a place for opulent wealth. And that's a part of what Plymouth is engaged right now is is in in terms of resisting the displacement here in Washington, D.C., but also the resistance to, uh, to displacement around the world. Because one thing that we are, are, are trained to think, we want to think that our struggle is unique and our issues are unique. And somehow the things that we're battling against are not universal, well, they are. White supremacy is cut out of the same cloth. The agenda that happened here in terms of enslaving people is the same kind of colonial settler agenda that happens around the world and particularly in places like Palestine. <laughs> we must not allow folks to separate us up and make that non- what we should be seeing and not understanding what we should be understanding. I know this is that my struggle is a universal struggle. My struggle against racism is a universal struggle. My struggle against white supremacy is a universal struggle. It doesn't stop at this border, but it goes into places wherever people are struggling to be free, and we have to dare to stand in solidarity and commitment with others because we know one thing. If folk win over there, they're going to eventually win here, and I can't afford to allow them to win over there because I can't afford to allow them to win here. That's what it's about. Standing up for justice, standing up for peace, Solidarity with one another, we're called to be Palestinians and we're called to be black and we're called to be any and everybody who's oppressed in this world. We need to say that is who I am and that's where I stand and I can stand no other place.
0: Joining Pastor Hagler at the Plymouth United Church of Christ in the nation's capital was a diverse group of people from uh, all over the country. One of them is uh, Lara Kiswani. She's the executive director of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center in the Bay Area. And uh, Lara connected some of the dots uh, that we've been missing so far between US imperialism, Israeli settler expansionism, and uh, the activities that form this mosaic of people and uh, diverse causes. Here's some of what Lara said at the Plymouth United Church of Christ.
5: and domination of the entire global south. Because Israel is indeed a partner to the United States. It is instrumental to U.S. imperialism. So if we understand that, we understand the Palestinian struggle as a Palestinian struggle against settler colonialism and U.S. imperialism. Why else am I, as a Palestinian, not allowed to visit Palestine unless I have the privilege of my U.S. passport? Why else was my father from the Jerusalem district still living in exile in Jordan, not allowed to live in his original homeland? My father is older than the state of Israel. Why else was my grandmother, who was displaced in 1948, never allowed to see her original homeland and buried in a country where she lived as a refugee? We then understand the struggle against U.S. imperialism and the struggle also against Zionism, We understand Israel was founded on the colonization of Palestine and the expulsion of Palestinians. It is a settler colonial project and must only be challenged as such. Zionism is the ideology in which it was based on and founded and must therefore be challenged as racist. So how can we separate Israel from its practice, right? It's not only doing bad things. Its very premise is racist, colonial, and lends itself to white supremacy and apartheid, which is why you have Kufi, right? Zionism, just like white nationalism, is built on and continues to fuel anti-Arab racism and structural violence. So the U.S. and Israel are natural allies, and just as their alliances made possible the suffering of so many, including all of you in this room, our solidarity, makes possible a new future and a new world for all of us. So how do we understand this particular political moment and the work you're doing today, tomorrow, and every day? Apartheid Israel has become a primary battlefield for progressives in the United States, if not all over the world. Israel is in fact scared, and it's worried. It's desperate to maintain control public opinion is shifting against the impunity of Israeli human rights abuses against Palestinians, things are in fact changing. And we are part of that change. And real, structural, transformative change is in fact possible. And if we understand the freedom of Palestine as possible, then we understand liberation for all people as possible. And Palestinians on the ground are holding it down. We're doing what we can here in Diaspora and in the, and in Palestine, whether it's in, pris- in prison, the youth in the streets, or families, but our partners in struggle, all of you, and the movement to isolate Israel through boycott, divesting, and sanctioning Israel politically, economically, and culturally, is a critical and instrumental articulation of that solidarity. And today we are building on BDS work. We are building and isolating Israel globally. Tomorrow, many of you, are gonna be directly confronting racism, white supremacy, and Zionism. You are going to be demonstrating your unwavering commitment to human rights. You're practicing your solidarity in demanding change, and challenging all that inhibits our movements for freedom and justice to flourish, not only here in the United States or in Palestine, but in Iran, in Yemen, in Haiti, in Syria, in Venezuela, in the Philippines, and in Cuba, I would argue. You're demonstrating that there's no room for dialogue with racism and injustice. There's only room to end it all together.
0: That audio of Lara Kiswani and of Graylin Hagler before her were both from the night before the demonstration. And we'll jump back now to the demonstration itself, where I had a chance to catch up with Tariq Abu Ata. He is the executive director of FASNA, Friends of sabil North America. Tariq uh, and several others were actually able to get inside the Christians United for Israel summit meeting and uh, cause some disruptions. Uh, in fact, Tariq was carried out by several security guards and this is what uh, Tariq had to say to the assembled demonstrators outside the Washington, D.C. Convention Center shortly after he was ejected.
6: They came to us, where's my partner Amaya? my partner Amaya and I. They came to us and they said, Mr. Tariq Abu Atta, giving me a handshake and saying, come out with me. Now the hell if I'm going to walk out on my people without in your seat. continue to fight. We will stand for every child, woman, and man in Palestine and on the border and in our prison yes. here today. Going through this space, I had to be carried out because I went limp. There's no way I'm going to be standing up and walking out of a place of injustice until the bars are torn down. Do this together. We're gonna tear those bars of our cages down together. And we're gonna continue until I have no voice and until our bodies are becoming bridges to justice. We will not stop. I did have the image of the child, and you know the child whom I picked was Ahitamini. And I had image, slapping a soldier, and getting arrested for daring to resist. When a person of color raises their voice and dares to resist, we are jailed and killed. And I was telling the security and the people out there, I will not walk out of this space. You will carry me, or you will kill me, or you will hit me, but you're going to have to grab dead body out of here. Our body. Our bridges of justice, and we will scream Free, Free Palestine! Free, Free Palestine! Free, Free Palestine! One of you out here, you are the prophetic, and you are the prophetic that is being turned into action. God bless you. God bless the divine that is inside you. For each person who are who is imprisoned, God bless you.
2: Hey, now the time to sure Yeah. Do you have any voice left? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, we're now speaking in person to Tariq abu who uh, you were carried out of the convention center. How did you get in, first of all?
7: I got in surprisingly with a badge, and they let me in through the second checkpoint. I was seated with my partner, and we were seated there for about 10 minutes, which surprised me. Then we had some security roaming around us. And then about 10 minutes into it, a security guard came and said, Mr. Tariq Abu Ata. And I wanted to shake my hand and said, please. Can you say it like that? Yes. Wow. Mr. Tariq Abu Atah, Impressive. Please come with me. Okay. I have seen this and I have heard it multiple times at checkpoints where they have said, Mr. Tariq Abu Atah, having worked in Hebron for 10 years. It is not intimidating to me. It is an invitation to start upping my game on doing justice. So um,
2: I actually ended up in there as well, but without intending to. (laughs) I was between between the the protesters and the convention attendees, and I got shoved inside. And and I stood very still and I told the security people inside, I don't want to be in here, I'm trying to get out. Uh, At that point, DC police showed up. Detained me, took my ID, took my picture, and shoved me out of the door on the other side of the building. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what the people inside are anticipating in terms of security issues. What do you make of the police presence out here at the moment? It's quite a quite a, a, a sizable contingent of DC Metro Police. They look to me like they're gearing up for something. Uh, what are you expecting to happen as the thunder rattles the building around? They
7: are ready to imprison even out here and inside. They were ready inside with multiple forces. Um, Five people ended up carrying me from the inside and I went limp three, four times. And and then they delivered me to another set of people downstairs under when they took me down as And yes, even looking here, how many cop cars we see? We see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven, we can eight. About eight cars, the ones that we can see. Right. Imagine the listening devices. Imagine the people that are behind the scenes. And this is this is a security for people who are doing justice. This is a security that is protecting the thousand of people inside who are who are espousing a theology that produces bullets that hit our own children they're protecting that
2: this is the one of the things that drew me to the story in the first place is the idea of um It's a total oxymoron in my book, you know, I was raised Christian in the Middle East, uh, I guess like you were to some extent, and the idea of a violent Christianity, or a Christianity that uh, is militaristic, or that supports some kind of occupation, I mean obviously, you know, the Roman Emperor was at one point Christian, so it's not like... Religion of all kinds has, has been abused by all sorts of people. Yes, but this is, to me, different because Hagee and other people inside this summit are clergy. They're not politicians. There are politicians here as well, of course, Mike Pence and Pompeo and others. But what do you make of this extraordinary pro-military and militarized clergy? To me, that's a different, a different strain.
7: The state is here, the vice president and the police, to protect the religion that is in a symbiotic relationship with the state violence. This is not Christianity at all. This is a pseudo-Christian cover for state violence and sinfulness and immorality. This is the violence. This is the space that creates bullets that hit our children on the ground. This is a conflation of state and religious Zionism and terrorism and the other
2: thing and I'm hoping to speak to some of the attendees of the conference as well at some point um, I'm trying to understand and maybe at least give me your your take on that what what do you make of that relationship I've always found very odd the relationship between Zionist Israelis and Christian Zionists because uh, the second coming if it were to happen and the rapture uh, surely that would mean the death of not just the majority of people but specifically of Jews
7: The soulful, the soul in me, the prophetic soul inside my heart would have been, and the soul of every person standing out here, would have been the ones protecting the Jews during the Holocaust and during the attacks in Europe. We are the people who would have been protecting the Jewish people. Unfortunately, and the saddest part for this reality is that when a Jewish nation gains enough state violence, then the religious cover of the Christians came to give it cover they would not have been the most heinous and immoral thing is they would not have been the ones protecting the Jews during the Holocaust we would have been for this relationship to continue it is based on state-to-state violence right and it is built on state-to-state violence when at the end time right now it is a symbiotic relationship for both but both know that they will have to diverge at some point and you know what we will be there also to hold their hands as they seek justice through our movement and we will welcome them back, whether they are Christian Zionists or Muslim Zionists, we will welcome them back but these people would not have protected the Jews.
2: So since it's a marriage of convenience, shall we say, and it's bound to diverge at some point because ultimately, uh, if the second coming happens then obviously uh, Zionism uh, is irrelevant at that point, and if it doesn't happen, then the political aims are going to be changed over time anyway. So at some point, as you said, they have to diverge. In the meantime, how do you explain to people who are not religious or who are not familiar with the Abrahamic religions in general, what else is involved in this? Because there's a lot of uh, politics, money and issues far beyond religion and theology that are connecting a lot of different strings and
6: threads, yes. for me at least yes. in this story. Yes.
2: What about the non-religious angle?
7: The empire would fall. The empire will fall. And once the empire falls, this is why a movement has to create from now spaces of justice internally for all peoples as progressive Christians. But also, this is why it's important for me, in my, from um, as a Palestinian Christian lens, to love my neighbor now standing in justice, but to love our enemy when they have been redeemed with a message of justice. So those progressives, those who are not religious, those who are Any faith or no faith at all belong to the same community. Martin Luther Luther King called it the beloved community. It is that community that they belong to. It doesn't matter their religion. It doesn't matter your conviction. But what matters is when you use a religion for state violence, which is what Kufa is doing here. It's a very boisterous
2: scene. Uh, That's very dramatic. I I wish I uh, there's going to be video around somewhere on the web. I'm sure. And I'm I'm taking some photographs. Um, The the scene here is is quite incredible. What what do you uh, expect to come out of this beyond today? What's what's your larger hope as an organization and as an individual? Where do you want to go from here?
7: Absolutely. This is a a multi faith organized. Efforts and it is a multi faith and and non faith progressive people's efforts in order to start creating that beloved community. Our vision is two double one exposing the Christian Zionist faces we are here today, and also envisioning a better reality, a better future. And that envisioning is what we will take from this action and build momentum on for that multi faith continuous building of society so we will take it to the moderate church to the moderate synagogue, to the moderate mosques, to any houses of worship and even to our senators and congress people's offices as to say this, you are supporting this violence and by not standing up as moderate whites, this is what Martin Luther King called it, the white moderates has become more destructive because of their deafening silence on justice, we are here to grow a movement and push the moderate into the extreme love and justice that God of all people has has instilled us with, and has given us responsibility for.
2: I hate to, to keep diverting you away from the spiritual side. I know. Yes. I know it's very. I know it's important. But I, I also. Yes, yes. I mean, I, you know, I have my own my own spiritual ideas. But I'm I'm mindful of. The listeners to the Pacifica Network, for example, who is the majority of who's going to hear this? A lot of them are uh, pragmatic. At least that's how I view them. On a, on a positive day, they they think about trying to focus on the possible. A lot of the stuff you're describing sounds very far fetched. You know, obviously it's very positive, and you have a, a, a final kind of goal that is beyond what is looks realistic today. How do, you, how do you move from the, the reality of now, standing in the pouring rain in D.C. with thunder and D.C. police and, and secret service and convention people and arrests, from this reality where you are certainly on the weak side of the power structure?
7: Yes, yes.
2: What, what is it that makes you think that the, the things you're describing about the fall of the empire are realistic or possible? What do you hang on to?
7: I hang on to the history of the forefathers and foremothers of all justice movements. It's the history of the South African struggle in our own country here, the civil rights movement. Things were not changed by talking about them. The complacency even of the black people and the moderate churches and the moderate people, if you don't want to get the religious spiritual uh, space. The moderate person walking the street had to see the exposition of the violence and they had to see the violence firsthand that they were not seeing. And we use our bodies to showcase that violence for them in order to build momentum with all of them. Um, and I'm not sure I'm answering your question at this well, point. Well, so I, I guess one of, one of the things that I always circle back to, one of my
2: kind of pet projects, is I, I guess overall I have a lot of faith in people generally, and when I see people not doing what I think they would do, I assume that they don't know enough.
7: Y- they don't so, know enough and they haven't seen the violence enough to know what's happening. I think that's, you don't, you, and, and, and it is not that we will get a majority of people to do justice. I mean, the thing is, you can get, never doubt, the saying is never doubt what a small group of people can do. It's the only thing that's changed the world. Right. At the same time, we don't want to keep it small. We want to grow as much momentum as possible. So for that white moderate or, or, or non-white moderate person walking the street, if you want to be part of making change. In 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 a non-spiritual way even, come join the actions and do something about it, because in doing something about it, you are joining that momentum, larger momentum that is inclusive of all progressive people that need to be transformed into anti-Zionist forces throughout all of the U.S.
0: That was Tarek Abu'at, I will uh, circle back with him in just a minute. Uh, Before that, I wanted to play a a couple of clips of uh, attendees at the conference.
2: Okay, we are outside the uh, DC Convention Center. I've managed to uh, bump into a couple of attendees of the Christians United for Israel Summit. Uh, identify yourself, however you want. First name only, if you prefer. People. And you're from the local area, or you're not? I guess you traveled here for this summit.
8: I traveled here for the summit.
2: And what do you make of? Uh, forget the protest for a minute. What is your main point of the summit? Why are you here?
8: We are here to support Israel.
2: And what, what does that mean as a, as a Christian?
8: As a Christian, that means everything in the world to me. Jesus Christ came to save us all. He can save these people as well.
2: So what, what do you make of uh, the relationship between politicians and religious figures? A lot of stuff gets muddled as far as I can tell. Uh, I can tell you're a person of faith and you're moved when you speak about Christ. Does all this politics bother you? Do you want to just be like, leave me alone, I just want to worship and support my faith? Or are you invested politically in what's going on as well?
8: I just wish that they could see and understand, read their Bible, and understand that we all have to get along. And the final hour will come one day, and I hope and pray that they know the Lord.
2: So if, if you, not in this noise obviously, but if you could take one of those people and sit down with them quietly, what would you want to explain to them? How, how would you want them to think about Israel and Christianity or Israel and Jesus and America? Because most of them are Americans as far as I can tell.
8: To love Israel, to love the people. They are God's chosen people. And because the Jews stumbled, we, We got salvation. God gave us salvation because they would not open their eyes and and serve Him. But one day they will all understand. One day they will accept Christ.
2: And one of the main, I just interviewed one of the main uh, organizers over there. He's a Palestinian Christian. And I was, um, what would you say to a Palestinian Christian then at that point? So if you both Christians, what do you, surely have something in common, right?
8: We do. We have Jesus Christ in common. We know that he came and died for us. Right. He's the only one that died for our, our souls. Not, I don't want to go the other route.
2: Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. The Muslim route. Any closing thoughts for people listening? We must
8: pray for them. Pray for God's grace. Pray that they open their eyes and
6: before it's too late.
2: Well, I, I think everyone can a, can appreciate that message. I think we all need help. Thanks for your time, David.
6: Okay, recording.
2: You have, a, you have a message, you're another attendee at the summit, uh, the Christians United for Israel conference in D.C., and you said you wanted to say something, it's yes, a little cryptic, what, what's your message? One of my biggest
9: message? surprises, when I was beginning to understand the significance of Israel, was that after Noah, he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Went forth from their vessel, and out of them came 70 nations. And guess how many out of the 70 nations honored God? Zero. So God looked for a man, Abraham, and he had to create a brand new nation, all his own, and that was the Jews. And through the Jews, came all those prophets who told all the story of Jesus, and then came Jesus, all for me. For, right. for us all. For us all.
2: Right. Yes. I know we all feel like we have our own relationship with Jesus, and we do, I guess. I know. But we don't claim, I don't. But it's, I, don't, I don't claim ownership of personally, Jesus. it's
9: all. it was all for me. Right. <laughs> Right. Him who's been forgiven much, loves much.
2: Right. I love much. Right. Thank you for
0: that. Before we wrap up, uh, I just wanted to circle back to Tarek Abuata. Uh, I asked him one final question about the role of the media, which I think is, is important for us to all consider a little bit further
2: here. One last question before I let you go, it's kind of a big question for me at least. Uh, you mentioned the alliance of politics and religion. Uh, there's a, a, for me a really important third leg to that stool which keeps people uninformed, and it is the media the alliance between religion and state power and media. Yes. Uh, and it's it's the lack of information and lack of coverage of the issues that not only you're talking about, but other things yes. to do with social justice, uh, where our money, our tax dollars go, for example. A lot of people don't even know where they're, yes. Where they're spent. Yes, And uh, one of the things that I'm positive about is social media changing the platforms of information are more diverse now than they ever used to be, and so people don't have to go to the so-called mainstream media as much what is your take on on that third leg of the stool is is that really an alliance is it another one of those
7: um, marriage of convenience between the three different groups absolutely i've done work on the ground for 10 years there is as little media coverage as there is today there's probably more than most actions i've done in palestine yeah and in Palestine, we had, and I worked for an organization called Negotiation Support Unit, where a large part of it was doing media work. We never got CNN, not even MSNBC, to come out. We've never gotten out even the quote unquote progressive media to come out and cover it. They have not been pushed far enough. It is a sad reality when we are separating families from each other on the border, and our own Congress people are not able to take their damn phones to take video coverage of what they are funding and what our government is funding and the media is not in uproar about privatization of prisons and allowing our own congresspeople to go in with cameras not even your phone. That is also in in a Christian way to me sinful even on that level of exposition. We absolutely need media support and the media persons have to push even within their own bureaus to cover things like that. That's the only way we're going to build momentum and the media people are also the average person walking down the street that also needs to be anti zionist and we will build this together and these all these tripod spaces will be changed
2: and uh, if people in the media who are worried about their careers that's that tends to be self-censorship i think is the biggest problem in the media there is definitely some pressure from above you know don't cover this story or this is what upset that sponsor but i think a lot of the censorship is self-imposed uh, a lot of journalists that I've spoken to over the years who have covered big stories controversial stories have suffered consequences yes. and they're often held up as examples you know hey don't don't talk about that it's bad for your career uh, how I mean I'm asking you an impossible question uh, yeah, yeah. No, which is, You know, how do you encourage people <laughs> I think the media is very important in getting yes, the word yes, out, yes, yes. and I've I've struggled for years trying to talk to people. I've spoken to so many people in the media, in mainstream co- corporations, in journal in newspapers, in TV, in satellite, and a lot of them privately will say, Oh yeah, I wish I could cover that story, but it's bad for my bad for my job. Or those some have said, You know, I tried to cover that story, my editor spiked it, or my editor changed it so much that it wasn't mine anymore.
7: Then, as much organizing within these media circles obviously needs to happen as much as we're doing out here. Right. Um, Because every even uh, American that I've dealt with in Palestine, many of them have said, "But we can't get back into Israel If we if if we risk arrest or if we do justice work in the US, this work is not for the weak hearted Let's start there. This work, whether it's a journalist or uh, for a journalist, I would say Is your allegiance to telling the truth as a journalist or is your allegiance to our state violence. If your allegiance is to state violence, you would be complacent as many journalists are. If your allegiance is to telling the truth, you would stand up and you challenge your boss. You would challenge the media. You would challenge the bureau. Will you lose your job? That is a risk you have to take. As every American who comes and visits Palestine has to take a risk of not being allowed to go back in the country. That risk is only taking away your privilege, a privilege that that fades in comparison to the bullets hitting children's heads on the ground. So I ask every journalist, every Every faith person, every non-faith person, to push the envelope. If your allegiance is to justice,
2: I, I would add to that on a personal note that maybe if a lot of journalists coordinated, yes, it would be hard to fire all of them. Yes, I,
7: yes, I think yes.
2: I, I don't know. It's easy for me to say that because Pacifica <laughs> doesn't censor me. Uh, maybe because they don't pay me, so I can, so I can say what I, whatever I want. Um, but it is, is an organizing
7: tactic that has to be done within the media too. Right.
2: All right. Well, Tarek Abuata, uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, maybe you've had a chance to dry off a little bit. It's nice that you guys picked a, a covered spot to do the protesting today. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you. I am blessed for, by, by the rain.
7: Name. Thanks. Mark. Right.
2: That was Tarek
0: Abuata, the executive director of Friends of Sabil North America. It's uh, a Christian ecumenical organization, and they are a peace movement really initiated by Palestinian Christians. Before that, you heard the voices of two of the conference attendees. One of them identified herself simply as Dimple, and the other one didn't want to use her name at all. Uh, before that, the audio you heard of uh, Lara Kiswani and Reverend uh, Grayland Hagler was recorded at Reverend Hagler's church. And I got uh, the audio for that from a cinematographer and filmmaker and editor who uh, very kindly gave me basically all of his audio to use. Uh, So Ahmed Mansour, thank you very much for for providing that. Uh, I would suggest that you uh, keep tuning in to Arab Voices for more on this type of story and for interviews with guests that will, I'm sure, be discussing Zionism and uh, the issue of Palestine and Israel as Saïd has done on Arab Voices for years. And thanks so much uh, to Saeed for giving me uh, some space here on his show to bring you this special report from Washington, D.C. on the Christians United for Israel conference and the uh, demonstration and protest by this group, uh, Friends of Sabil North America. They were joined by several other organizations who uh, added their voice to the protest. And those groups are Jewish Voice for Peace, U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, and American Muslims for Palestine. Uh, The websites you should probably take a look at are FOSNA.org, F-O-S-N-A.org, and C-U-F-I.org to learn more about Christians United for Israel. Uh, Pacifica's mission, as uh, you hopefully know by now, is to cover news, current affairs, community events in a way that uh, serves the community and serves its listenership and the network and typically that means bringing you voices that are not covered or given space by the mainstream corporate press which uh, is certainly the case so far on this topic although that is starting to change Uh, i think that the tide is is turning uh, albeit slowly and i'm expecting more of this kind of coverage from other media outlets in the future or at least we can hope Thanks for tuning in. This is Mark Balley with a special report from Washington, D.C. You. You oh, you you know.
4: Know. Yeah. You so you better...